society is obsessed with information, right? We love to know facts. And the good news is we have access to facts in moments, instant access, actually. You know, when I was a kid and I needed to gain some knowledge, I needed to, to learn some information, you know what I had to do? I had to work for it, right? I had to go to the library or my favorite. When I was like researching for a paper or working on a project or something, I would have to march my tush over to our beautiful set of encyclopedias. Do you guys remember these? Right? I had a leather-bound set. We were only allowed to touch carefully because it was really, they were really special to my mom. All right, so when I wanted to look something up, I had to actually work for it. And I think about my kids these days, and I think, they'll never know the pain of having to work for information, right? Not only do they not have to look things up, they don't even have to Google stuff. Right, all of, around my house, we have these things called Amazon Alexas. And online fam, I hope that just set off your Alexa if you have one when you say it. Right, so, so you say, every morning when my kids want information, they want to know like what the weather is so they know what they're supposed to wear. They say, hey Alexa, what's the weather? And then she tells them the temperature and then she goes, have a nice day. And I think, you're so spoiled. Like, you're just so spoiled, kids. Let me pro tip though, parents. Alexa's also very helpful with homework. So, like, my kids are in the stage now where they're always like, how do you spell? How do you spell? I'm sick and tired of spelling. I'm like, Alexa is your new mom. You go ask her. She'll tell you, right? <laughs> she can do math. She can do a lot of stuff. She's very, very smart. <laughs> so, huge technology win. We love information, and we have access to instant information in a moment. Some people would say we have instant access to truth. Everyone say truth. truth. If you're listening online, drop that in the chat. Instant access to truth. But there's this fascinating twist in society, and it is this. Truth has become relative. What do I mean? I mean, my truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth. And this is because of the postmodern movement that has made truth a personal issue. So rather than there being an absolute, rather than there being one thing that is true, truth has become an issue of experience or an issue of perspective. So while we have more access to information than ever before, as a society on the whole, we are actually incredibly confused. And I can already feel in the room, this is like weighty. I know it's hard, but Jesus is with us today. Okay, we are at a crossroads when it comes to this issue of truth. It's important. It matters. People are asking real questions. People I love dearly. People I care about. They're searching for answers. They're asking questions like, is Jesus really the way? Is Jesus really the truth? And so when I share with you today, just know that I'm coming from a place where this, this matters to me. Because this is people that I care about. People that are on a journey. And I know you're on a journey too, but so am I. We're all learning in humility what it means to know truth. Truth is not just something I've read about in a book. Truth is something I've experienced in my life. I want to tell you one thing that I know to be very true. Jesus is real. He's real. He is who he says he is. Jesus is a man who walked the earth 2,000 years ago, and you can read all about him in this historical book. This records it. But he's not just someone I know because I read the book. I actually know him as my friend. I've known Jesus my entire life, and what I want you to know is he wants to know you too. He wants to be in personal, real relationship with you. He is the best thing ever, and that's why I'm so glad we are talking about him in this series, Jesus where we're exploring through our anchor text here in John 14 who Jesus is, and he says it this way. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. And of course, if you were here last week, you know Diane shared that Jesus is the way, the only way. And today we're going to look at what it means when Jesus says, I am the truth. Because what is truth? And what about your truth, my truth? And can we ever really know truth? The reason we're addressing this very important topic is because if we believe lies and we live them as truth, it will wreak havoc on our lives and it will sabotage our peace. We don't want that. So let's invite the spirit of truth to be our teacher. So Jesus, we welcome you. Um, you, you care a lot about this. And so I just thank you, Father, that you are going to reveal Jesus to us today. So Jesus, spirit of truth, you're welcome here. Be our incredible teacher. We love you so much and we give you this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so what is truth? How do we define truth? You know, we believe that if we've learned a fact, if we have received information, then we have received truth. But the thing is, is that truth is not just facts. And truth is not just information or knowledge. Simply put, truth is reality. Everyone say reality. Right, reality. Truth is the state of things as they actually exist. So my question is, how could we possibly disagree on reality? How could we disagree on truth? Well, I have a somewhat silly example for you uh, up here. This is a picture of a shoe. And we are all online and in person, we are looking at this picture of a shoe. So what is reality? I'm going to ask you, and you can drop this in the chat with your answer. What color is the shoe? What? I hear pink and white. I hear gray, teal. Are you crazy? You guys. So this is from the internet, right? We've seen this. I show this to my kids. My truth is that shoe is pink and white. I'm telling you, that shoe is pink and white. My kids look at it. They're like, Mom, you're crazy. I'm like, are my eyes going bad? Like, they're like, it's gray and teal, Mom. It's gray and teal. Truth is not just kids. It's adults too, right? The truth is, I, so I Googled this. The truth is the shoe is pink and white. So my reality, I'm just saying. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pink and white. <laughs> no. Okay, but <laughs> based on your sensitivity to light and how your brain interprets the light, depending on your perspective, you might see teal and gray. Okay, can you see how this concept of knowing truth can become confusing? Your reality might be one thing, my reality might be one thing, but there is truth. It's hard, it's tricky. Truth does exist, but it's not found in our interpretation of data. Truth is not found in our interpretation of information. It is not found in our perspective on reality because truth is not a perspective. Truth is a person. Let's read about him in the good word. If you have your Bible, flip to John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, in the word, anytime you see the word capitalized like that, that means Jesus. Okay? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Everyone say truth. Type it in the chat. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Everyone say grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Truth is not a perspective. Truth 
is a person. And if we want to know truth, we must know Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh. And we know that when we receive all that Jesus is, we receive the fullness of grace and truth. Jesus is fully God and fully man, and he, he existed before the creation of the world, right? John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So Jesus has always existed, fully God, but he chose to set aside his divinity to walk the earth as a man, and he lived a perfect, sinless life. And when Jesus entered the world, he actually said, hey guys, hey guys, if you've seen me, you've seen my dad right? He was the perfect reflection of God the Father in the flesh. And Jesus, he's the best, right? He's the best son. He's the best friend, the best teacher. Everywhere Jesus went, he was doing good. You can read all about it in the Gospels, right? He was healing the sick. He was feeding the hungry. He was setting the, the, the captives free. And he loved everywhere he went. He was rooted in grace. Jesus is incredible, he spent a lot of time with his 12 disciples. He was always teaching them important things and revealing them the things of the kingdom. So he's a great, incredible teacher. And he, he knew that after about, about three years of his public ministry, he knew that the time was coming when he was going to have to die. Do you know why he know this, knew this? He understood his assignment. He knew it. He knew his assignment. The young people get it. It's fine. Just making sure you're awake. He knew his assignment. He knew that he had to come into the earth and live a perfect, sinless life so that in his death and resurrection, he was the perfect sacrifice. He knew what he had to do, but it doesn't mean it was easy, right? When he was talking to his disciples, when he was telling them, hey guys, guess what? I'm going to die. I know it's really unfortunate. I really don't want to do this because he, he didn't. He literally said to the Lord, if there's any other way, Father, but not my will, but yours be done. It wasn't his desire, but he wanted the will of the Father, so he's teaching his disciples, and he says, listen, I know it's, it's sad that I'm leaving, but guess what? Good news is someone better than me is coming. Who's better than Jesus? Jesus is literally perfect. What in the world? He says this in John 16. This is, he said it's to our advantage that he leaves, because he says he is going to send us the spirit of truth. Right? When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Say truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So even though Jesus was going to die and leave them in the physical body, even though he wasn't going to be with them anymore, he sent his spirit of truth to live inside of them. And the same opportunity is there for each one of us today. Do you know what we call this? Being filled with the spirit. We can be filled with the spirit of truth. Now, we have to admit that this feels a little interesting, right? It's kind of hard sometimes for our brain to comprehend. So the fully God-man who lived on the earth, died, rose again, and now he sent his spirit to live inside of us. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. I know. And it's supernatural, and it's kind of weird. But listen, it will change your life. When the spirit of truth comes on the scene, when the spirit of truth fills you from the inside out, everything changes. Because truth does not be something we have to find out there. It's actually right here inside of us. And the spirit of truth leads us and he guides us and he's so faithful. So we can look at this and we can think, okay, well, this seems pretty easy. Just be filled with the spirit of truth. Then that's it, right? There's no more confusion in the world. Bah, bah, bah. Bad news, I know. But you know because you live in the world too, right? 
While this is true, we have an enemy. His name is Satan, and his life purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Right? Now, we do know this. Jesus defeated him on the cross, so all of his authority was stripped, but he does still have a little influence. It's annoying. It's destructive. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says it this way, that the enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly like a roaring lion looking for its prey to devour. He hates you. It gets better. Don't worry. I'm just going to tell you this part. Like, this is just reality, but it gets better, so... Hang tight. He hates your guts. He wants to make your life miserable because he is miserable. And if he wants to destroy the world through confusion, it seems to be working. Right? What better way to wreak havoc on the world than by convincing us that there is no truth or your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and we can do whatever we want. It doesn't matter. What better way to confuse the world and destroy the world? The tool that the enemy uses to destroy us is deception. He deceives us, okay? I've been reading this book um, by John Mark Comer. He's an author, pastor. He lives in Oregon with his wife and kids. His last book is called No More Lies, and it, he says it this way. This is just good. We are in captivity to illusions about reality. We are in captivity to illusions about reality. It means we have an entire world that is bound by wrong belief about truth, and it's jacking up our world. And my heart breaks for us, right? My heart breaks for us because I see what the enemy is up to. I see that he is working overtime to sell us a lie. He sells us a false reality so that we live in bondage, and that keeps us from experiencing every good thing that the Father has from us. Do you know that he's robbing us of our wholeness? He's robbing us of peace. And since the creation of the world, this is actually his plan, right? He, he's been, from the very beginning, he has been dead set on destroying humanity. And in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we actually read the story of Adam and Eve. They're the first people on earth, and we read about their interaction with the serpent. Now, the serpent is the, later identified as the personification of the devil. So you have Eve in the garden. And listen, the, the Garden of Eden is like the world as it should be. The world as it should be before sin enters the picture, everything is literally perfection, right? Beautiful world, beautiful garden. Adam and Eve are created. They're in full relationship, perfect relationship with the Father, and they have no need. Every need is met. Wholeness. They're experiencing wholeness. And so we pick up on, on the scene where Eve is alone in the garden and the serpent, because right, she's living her best life, right? Living in the garden. This is as it should be. In fact, just a little side note, uh, when, when we think about God's plan for each one of us, it is wholeness, right? In the garden, that is actually the experience of what God has for all of us. Perfect relationship with him and others, tending to the world and enjoying one another. That's the goal. But we see Eve in the very beginning. She's hanging out, and here comes the serpent. Now, the first description of him in Genesis, it says that he is more crafty than any of the other wild animals the Lord God created. Now, this Hebrew word for crafty actually means cunning, wily, or deceitful, right? He's a liar. He is a liar. And his first lie was a very subtle one, and he poses it as a question. So Eve's hanging out in the garden, she hears, psst, lady. Go read it. It's a little different than that. Psst, lady. And she's like, who, me? 
He's like, Dad, you're the only one here. Okay. He says, this is how I imagine it in my mind. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from the trees in the garden? And she's like, oh my gosh, of course not. I'm sure she's a little taken back by the talking snake, by the way, but she's like, no, 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 no. Of course we can eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. It's, it's that one over there. You see that one right there? Like the sparkly one, right? You see that one? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge. Everyone say knowledge. Uh-huh. That's the one. We're not supposed to eat that one. God says if we even touch it, we'll die. He decides to be a little less passive, a little more aggressive, and he's like, whoa, you won't die. He says, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Satan is the father of lies, John 8, and his life work is to steal, kill, and destroy. But please notice, he does not come to destroy Eve with like a machete. He's not like, well, I'll get you, lady. He does it covertly. He's sly, and his weapon of choice is deception. He's smart. He knows what he's doing, right? He knows that if he can get Eve to change her belief, change her belief, she would self-destruct. Why? Because belief forms behavior. What we believe, we do. So he, if he's going to destroy her, he's going to deceive her first into believing a lie. Verse 6, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom, everyone say wisdom, wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it too, and at that moment, their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. Satan destroyed Eve, and the weapon of choice was deception. And what he did was he came to her with the promise of a better life. Better than perfect. Imagine. Right? The root lie under every single lie that Satan tells each one of us is that God is not good. God cannot be trusted. God's holding out on you. If only you would do this thing, then you'd be happy. He's not for you. He's not good. Don't follow him. Follow me. There's a better way over here. And he comes to us with the promise of a better life. It's what he did with Eve. She listens to him. She desires the fruit. She desires the wisdom. And she believes the lie that says she would be like God. Fun fact, she already was. She was made in his image. She already had everything she needed. But he lied to her with the promise of wholeness. When she was already whole, gosh, how did she miss it, right? You know, every time that we sin, we actually believe this lie. Every time. So sin is not like this checklist of do's and don'ts just for like, like God has a party, like, oh, I love keeping people in line. He's literally like, this is best for your life, this thing. And when you step out of it, when you go over here, ooh, it's not going to be good for you. Every time we step out over here and we say, I got it my way. We are literally declaring, I don't trust you, God. How's that going for us? How's it going for us? Eve's belief affected her behavior. She believed God was not good. He somehow could not be trusted. 
So she disobeyed, and she did the thing he said, don't do this, it's not going to be good for you, and she did it anyway, and she ended up trapped in shame. Shame. The enemy has a plan to destroy the world, and so it would be really wise for us to be aware of his schemes. Now, good news, he's smart, but he's not that smart, right? His plan is actually pretty simple, and I'm going to tell you today so that you know and you can come against him. His plan is threefold. Number one, isolate. Number two, prey on desire. And number three, entrap. This is what he does. Now, you think we would know this because this is also how we destroy things. Case in point, it's harvest time. I don't know if you know. Combines are in the field, combining, right? Fields are leaving. They're doing all the things. What comes running out of the field? Say it. Mice. Like, literally, there are a few things I hate. Mice is really, really one of them. I am dead set on destroying all of them. It doesn't matter. I want to destroy all the mice, especially if they're coming at my house. What's my first plan? My first plan of attack? Isolate. Why? I don't want like 50 of them. I'm like, one at a time, I can, I can do that, not 50. First thing I do is I'm going to get them alone. Then we're going to prey on desire. What do we do? Cheese, peanut butter. What else? Tell me, because I need to know. Well, there are more things. Okay. <laughs> okay. Prey on desire, and then wham, and trap. And then you can decide, like, catch and release or destroy, because... You, you know what I do. Anyway, that's my plan, to destroy all the mice. The thing is, it's the same plan that the enemy uses for us. First thing he's going to do to destroy you, he's going to isolate you. You guys, we've seen the effects of isolation on society. It is not good. He's going to get you alone. It's what he did to Eve in the garden. He said, I'm going to get her alone. Why? To keep you from the voices of love and truth that are going to encourage you and keep you on the right path. He's going to isolate one by one. He's going to keep you alone, and then he's going to prey on your desires, right? He's smart. He knows the things that we are interested in. He knows the things that we, are, we, we, we want. He knows our desire, and then come the lies. And let me just say, again, he's not stupid. He's not going to lie to us like, Psst, Leah, the tooth fairy is real, right? She lives in Montana. Her name is Jane. Believe me, like, stupid. He does say things like this. Leah, you don't need anybody. You're strong. You could do this on your own. And you know what? People, they're going to fail you. They can't be trusted. And then I start listening. I look back on my experience and I think, oh my gosh, it's true. People have failed me. I can't trust them. Forget all the people. It's a little dramatic, but... He knows our experiences. He knows our perspective on reality, and he preys on our desire. He starts to feed us information to get us to change our beliefs so that ultimately we will change our behavior and self-destruct. So my question for you today is, how is the enemy deceiving you? Well, I'm going to ask you this. Where in your life are you lacking peace? And is it possible that you're believing a lie and not truth. Look, maybe you're unhappy in your marriage. That's your reality. Your your reality is marriage is hard. So he starts whispering. He's like, oh yeah, you got married way too young. Man, your spouse doesn't get you. If only you had a different spouse, then then you'd be happy, right? Ah, The promise of a better life. Or maybe, maybe he tells you, like, if only you could afford that new house, you know, so you have some room to breathe. If only you could get that car that you've been wanting, if only you could get that thing, then you'd be happy. The promise of a better life. 
Or man, we're living through the great resignation, so that's fun. Everyone and their mother's quitting their jobs. If only you had a new career, then you'd be happy. Or maybe you've never been happy with your physical body, and he says, oh, if only you would lose the weight, then you'd be happy. The promise of a better life. He's a liar. And oftentimes, he is so subtle. Do you know that most of the enemy's lies are like 95% truth with just a hint of untruth? Like the LaCroix of the enemy, right? Just like, just a hint of lime. Just a hint of untruth. But a hint of untruth is not the truth. We don't have the full picture, and our perspective on reality is not always reality. Do you see? He's crafty. He's cunning. It, it, let me say this too. It's not that all desire is bad. Like, I feel like I need to say that. It's not that all desire is bad. It's when desires become distorted, that our desires become self-serving or out of kingdom alignment. That's when we end up entrapped, okay? So it's like getting healthy. You want to get healthy? That's amazing. Like, that's a good desire. But thinking that happiness comes from a number on a scale, that's the trap. You see? Don't believe the lies of the enemy. He wants nothing more than to deceive us and to keep us from knowing truth. And it's when he follows his plan. Again, the first thing, isolation. He's going to get us alone so that we're not actually surrounded by people that love us and that can keep us uh, being encouraged and being loved. He isolates us from love and he isolates us from truth. And then he, he preys on our desire, right? He, he knows what we like. He knows what he's coming after. He does it. He lures us in. And then wham, he traps us. And the thing with being trapped, it's not just the entrapment that's bad. It's the shame that comes with it. It's the shame. And you know what? When we feel shame, we don't feel good. So we, what, what do we do? We pursue desire again. We're like, oh, let's hop back on that carousel, right? We're like, okay, so I'm going to go after the thing that I desire. So maybe that'll fulfill me. Maybe I'll be happy. And then we end up again trapped in shame. So how do we get off this carousel? How do we break the cycle of deception and shame in our lives? How do we become free? We learned about it last week. There's one, one way. His name is Jesus. He is the way and he is the truth. And scripture tells us the truth will set you free. The truth. Let me tell you, John 8. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, and you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we are to abide in the word. Do you know what abide means? Act in accordance with. Why is that important? Because our behavior <laughs> reflects our belief. So if our behavior is a little out of whack, I would say, what you believe in? Are you believing the voice of truth, or are you listening to the lies of the enemy? There's no truth in Satan. There's no truth, and he wants nothing more than to feed you a lie, to get you to believe something that is not true, so that you end up changing your behavior and you end up in bondage. And I'll just say this, like, I think it's, I think it's incredibly heartbreaking when people believe they are living in freedom, but it's actually bondage. Like, we, we believe it. It's like we're looking at it, but the shoe is teal. I'm like, ah, it's pink. And it's so hard because he, he's a master manipulator, right? And he says, if you do this thing, then you'll be happy. If only 
you follow me, then you'll have peace. Do you know that peace will never come from fulfilled desire? It won't. It's a trap. Peace that passes all understanding only comes from being filled with the spirit of truth. Filled. But here is the good news. The spirit of truth is available for every believer. All of us can say in humility, we, we don't see it, right? I think my perspective might be a little off. Holy Spirit, show me what I don't see. And then we can say, be filled, fill me again, spirit of truth, so that I can really block out the lies of the enemy. You guys, if you want to know the spirit of truth, he wants to live in you today. And I know it is a supernatural kind of crazy thing that happens when we say a spirit, God, man, lives in us. Just don't stand on the street corner and say it, right? Do it in relationship. But it's true. I've lived it. I've seen it. And there's a gift that is available to each of us through the spirit of truth, and it is called the gift of speaking in tongues. And I don't have time to unpack all of this today, but I felt like the Father really wanted you to know that this gift is available for you today, those listening online, those here in the room. You know, when I was 15 years old, I actually went on a, on a trip with this church. We went to a conference out in Colorado called Prayer Storm 99. You can do my math to see how old I am. And when I was out there, we fasted for three days, a three-day full food fast. And at the end of it, they said, and if anyone wants to receive the gift of a personal prayer language, again, this is not, uh, I'm not talking about speaking in tongues like from a stage where it's prophetic and you have an interpreter. That's a totally different gift that is amazing, but that's not this. This is a personal prayer language where when we are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit actually prays on our behalf. And we say words that kind of sound like gibberish, and it's a totally new language, but our spirit, like the Holy Spirit, intercedes on our behalf when we don't know what to pray. And have you been there? Have you ever not known what to pray? God, I don't know truth. God, I don't fully understand this. Lord, my kids, I need this. When I don't know what to pray, I pray in the Spirit, and he intercedes on my behalf. And do you know what comes, the fruit of that? Peace. It's not because my mind has figured something out. It's because my spirit has received the spirit of truth. And at 15 years old, I marched myself down at that conference, and I said, give it to me, Lord. That's what I want. And I'm telling you, nobody laid hands on me. No one even prayed for me, and God met me there. He, he can do whatever he wants. He's a really big boy, and he loves to meet with his kids. And I just want you to know the same opportunity is available for you today. It might not make sense in your rational mind, and I, I get that. But if you want to know truth, you can be filled with the spirit of truth today. And so as the worship team comes out, I'm going to actually invite you to stand. Go ahead. Stand up. You know, when we worship, we are singing words to the Lord. Like we are singing things that we think about him. We're telling him all the good things we love about him. And the gift of the personal prayer language, that gift of tongues, is when the spirit prays things that we just don't know how to pray. And so I'm going to invite the spirit of truth right now to reveal himself to you, to fill you for the first time or to fill you again. And if you are interested in being filled, I'm just going to invite you to put your hands out. This is just the way we say, oh, Lord, help. Oh, Jesus, help. We don't fully understand it in our rational mind sometimes, Lord, but we've experienced you. You are real. And we just say, spirit of truth, you are welcome here. You are welcome in this place. Reveal yourself to us again and again and again. In spirit of truth, we invite you to fill us to overflowing. We want to know truth, and so we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to do this incredible supernatural thing. 
And we thank you for the peace that comes from being filled. Fill us, Lord. And for those who want that gift of a prayer language, it's a personal, private prayer language, we just release it right now. So in the name of Jesus, may you receive in your heart, in your spirit, the gift of a personal prayer language that will be activating the spirit of truth in your everyday life. And you are going to receive peace that passes all understanding, that passes all understanding, that passes all understanding. It is incredible, incredible peace. So thank you, spirit of truth. Thank you for meeting us here. Thank you. We're going to worship you now, spirit of truth. We love you. We can't wait to tell you all the things we love about you. And thank you that you meet us in this place. Thank you that you fill us to overflowing. And you know, after we worship, as we come back up, I want us to celebrate how God has transformed your life. I want to know the good things that God has done. We are going to celebrate with the word of our testimony. So as he breaks through in this worship set and as he's already broken through in the past, we're going to welcome you to share your testimony. We're going to celebrate who Jesus is because he's worthy. So we worship you now, Jesus. You are worthy.